You're listening to the Great to Greater podcast with Tiffany Rufino, where we talk about all things business and life. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome back, everybody. My name is Tiffany Rufino. I am here with the couch to my pivot, Jeffrey Rufino. <laughs> Hello. We are back. Sorry, I didn't mean to yell into your speakers, <laughs> but now you're awake, so I'm glad that I did. Welcome back. We had record numbers last week. Holy cow. They just keep growing and growing and growing. So thank you for sharing, liking, and subscribing. Uh, we have a lot of great stuff headed your way in the future. But until then, today's episode is exciting because, well, I mean, they're all exciting, but today's episode is even more exciting. Uh, but before I get into that, how are you, Jeff? I'm good. I'm good. It's been a uh, an wonderful. Interesting... And so today's episode, <laughs> no, <I'm just> kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's been an interesting week, and that's all I'll say about that. Okay. And so today's episode is called "Roadblocks or Trampolines." Interesting topic. I'm sure our audience can kind of guess what we're gonna lead towards. Uh, so I'll j- I'll just go ahead and give you the secret now. We're going to talk about the things that happen to you in your career or your personal life. Do you look at them as something that's blocking you from what you really want? Or are you looking at it as something that is catapulting you into what you really want? And this conversation came about, was it last week? You and I, maybe yeah, a week it was. It was ago. about a week ago. Um, we were watching, there's a series on Netflix called uh, The Untold Stories. And they go through different documentaries on a whole bunch of different things. It could be about Caitlyn Jenner. It could be about um, right now I'm watching the referee scandal in in one of the sports teams. Um, They've gone into like uh, mob stories. And the one in particular that we were watching was about a company called End One. And this used to be a really huge clothing brand. I don't know if it was completely global. I know that where we're from in New York, this was like a really big brand that came out. And I'm going to give you some bullet points to have the background story uh, on what inspired us to have this conversation. So the long and short of it, and then the long of it again, Uh is that this company came about by the creator who had a passion for basketball. His passion was just playing street ball. He wasn't a great player, but he just really had a passion for the sport. And I know I talk about basketball a lot. I I do love basketball uh, the most out of all the sports, but the intention behind the story is not to, you know, create a whole bunch of listeners that love basketball is just listen to the story. Okay. So he, um, he decided that he wanted to somehow create a a brand around basketball. He did go to a well-known college. He tried to get into, um, you know, the workforce. He tried to get into stocks. He tried to get into Wall Street, like stockbroker, all this stuff. And he just didn't have the passion for it. He just could not see himself getting up and doing this day by day by day. And he wanted to be an entrepreneur and he wasn't entirely sure how he was going to do that. But he was like, what goes well with basketball? Well, sneakers do, you know? And so I'm going to go ahead and create sneakers. I just don't really know how to. So he partnered up with two other guys uh, who had the the pieces, the missing pieces that he needed to create this brand, And One. They create And One. It's a cool looking sneaker, has great, you know, designs, fun stuff, blah, blah, blah. They get um, a basketball player who was the number four draft pick, who was just like brand new to the game for the Milwaukee Bucks um, to wear the sneaker, you know, and and if you're a kid like fresh out of high school and you got drafted into the NBA and you got this brand coming to you and they're like, hey, we're brand new. Do you want to represent us? You could be like the first celebrity that has like this sponsorship. You're going to. I mean, I call me a celebrity. Yeah. Where do I sign up? Absolutely. New clothes for free. Hook me up. I want new kicks, everything. And um, and so he went ahead and this was Stefan Marbury and um, he wore the sneakers and he wore the sneakers the first uh, week that he played. And in the first week, the brand had not launched yet. They were supposed to launch the following week in the first week that Stefan played. He went up for, um, I think he was going to block a shot. I don't think he was going up for a layup. Either way, he was going up 
And when he came down, he came down hard and he broke his ankle. Now, if you don't know a lot about basketball, hmm. here is something that I will share with you. Behind the basketball hoop, which is what they shoot the ball into, is where the press lines up to get the best shots. And so the best shot they got was of Stefan on the floor and the bottom of his shoe that had the end one logo. So now end one is getting a reputation before they even have a reputation, right? They haven't even launched yet. And another thing I'll tell you about basketball is breaking your ankles. You know, you may know this, you may not, but breaking your ankles is something that you refer to when you destroy a defender, right? So and one had also launched an ad campaign based on Stefan Marbury breaking his opponent's ankles with his dribbling, his crossover, etc. So that was literally the name of the commercial he filmed the week before, Break Your Ankles with Stefan Marbury. And then the following week he breaks his ankle and the cameras zoom in and they get the N1 logo. Uh, Stefan's agent is like livid and, you know, yelling at these guys that made the sneaker. I'm going to throw your sneakers in the trash at the press conference. You know, this is everything in the documentary. And the guys are like, oh my gosh, we're like finished. We're done. Right. Because before we even get out there, everybody sees that our sneakers aren't stable enough for, you know, the rough and tough uh, basketball players that are out there. There's no way that, that we're going to make our name for ourselves in clothing. We're done. And so I'm watching this and I'm like, wait, but they weren't done because I know that I, I rock their clothes. I know friends that rock their clothes. It was popular in New York. So what happened from there, right? And then he goes to talk and he says, and then I realized it wasn't the clothing that was the passion. I had to go back to my passion and my passion was basketball. And really it was street ball because I used to play street ball with my friends. We used to just go to the courts. He was like, it was the culture. It was the camaraderie of everybody being around each other. It was the hip hop. It was the clothes. It was basketball. He said it was everything in its entirety, not just the clothing part of it, not just, you know, playing street ball. He said, so we had to bring street ball back to life and what they created from that you know, instead of taking the roadblock, they took the trampoline and they didn't steer away from the sneaker. They put it to the side and they created the end one mixtape. So they went on tour with these fabulous street ballers, uh, you know, that were like, I don't want to say they're Harlem Globetrotters, but like street style because they weren't there for like the fancy tricks to wow the crowd and like you know amuse people like i'm not here to amuse you they were playing for real they were playing for real but with street tricks that's mm -hmm. the best way i could say it. you know not like uh, uh entertainment purpose in that sense and um so they created this mixtape that you know back when vhs children vhs tapes were be sold. kind <laughs> please rewind right and so then people wanted the soundtrack like, oh, how did that song get on there? How did that, where does this song come from? Then they wanted the music from the mixtape so that they could bump the music in their cars, right? So it started branching off and then they relaunched the clothing. They redid the sneakers. They redid the style. They went on tour with the basketball players and played in tournaments until it got to the point where these streetballers that um, unfortunately didn't have the opportunity to get into the NBA uh, based on circumstances, skill set, whatever the case may be, they were now playing a tournament in MSG, Madison Square Garden, right? And now the sneakers are number two compared to Nike in the top competitor to where Nike is now running out styles that look similar to and one and they're like neck and neck in competition. They can't keep the sneakers in the stores. Um, and so I just... I got so inspired, even though the the story was about the rise and fall of the end one, it was a rise and fall, rise and fall, rise and fall. You know, they didn't always stay down. They refocused, but they didn't change the total goal. The goal was always to be involved in basketball and always to have that passion, right? And the goal was uh, ultimately the sneaker part of it because they were sneakerheads. They They liked the style. But that didn't work at first. And so they had to go back to what does the customer want and what can I provide for them? And then what got me caught in the moment where I wanted to be involved in this? And it was ultimately 
okay, yeah, so let's write basketball on the wall. This is this is what really inspires me. It's just basketball. Okay, but what part of basketball? Is it just watching it on TV? Is it with your friends? Is it being out in the streets? Is it, you know? And they narrowed everything down and then they provided to their customer exactly what they would want if they were the customer. And that's how they rebranded themselves and got to the top at that point before we watched the second half of the documentary when they fell back down again. (laughs) (laughs) So the way the roadblock becomes, and I'm thinking about it as, as, as you're, you know, recapping the story, the way the roadblock becomes kind of a trampoline is if Stefan Marbury doesn't break his ankle and they don't have to rebrand, does and one compete with Nike in the NBA? Do they have anything that that says I'm going to outbid for the best athletes or do they get absolutely kicked off out of the industry? Are you asking me? Yeah. Well, what happened was is right after the whole uh, Stefan situation happened and I've broken my ankle. It's no fun. I did yeah. not do it in the cooler way that he did. Um, but yeah. And so Vince Carter had just gotten signed to Nike at the time. And Vince Carter was, uh, like, I think around number one. So they really felt, who are we going to get that's going to wear this? Especially now that, (laughs) you know, their fresh new player just broke their ankle on brand new sneakers. So they couldn't get anybody because their reputation wouldn't allow them to. Later, they did. Um, Later, they started to get teams that were ready to wear their... Uh, sneakers because they had made the name and reputation for themselves in the streets because the street players were wearing them. And if you could wear them in the streets on the concrete, you could wear them on the gym floor, Mm -hmm. right? So they had also made sure to dedicate the time and dedicate the education and the knowledge to um, reconstructing the sneaker so that it was more stable for ankle support and that it was more dynamic for speed in the way that it was shaped because it was a little more narrow in the front. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they also changed it with the way the colors were too. So they would do half the sneaker one color, half the sneaker another, and you can mix and match. And, you know, they they made it fashionable. But also if you're a team that has a couple of different colors, you could rock one left, one right that has the different colors that all collaborate with your team colors, right? So... Um, once they became established and saw that, uh, and the team saw that, hey, look, they're taking off the shelves, like the the team, the fans are purchasing them, um, the players started to get involved too. Mm-hmm. And it started team by team. And so in a way where they felt really, really bad about themselves when they're getting yelled at by the agent. They're like, oh my God, our They're first embarrassed. Guy. It's not even that they're feeling bad. They're just embarrassed. And it's more of how but do you come back from this? But they're at a low because, you know, the thought is our company's over. Yeah, absolutely. Huge roadblock. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it in hindsight, it's actually a blessing because this is 96 that this happened, right? Um, you're not competing with Jordans. No, they were. But Jordans they, were just being created. They, yeah, they were once they became a street. This is ninety nine, I think. But they were once they became a street brand. But if they don't become a street brand and they just have Stephon Marbury, they they might be toast. Right. We we would, may never have heard of them. So mm-hmm. in a way, this was a blessing mm-hmm. that they look in the moment. It seems like a, a roadblock, mm-hmm. but it's in reality it was it was good. Either way. Right. You know, whether Stefan did not have that happen or whether he did is what you're saying is like either way it could have gone. It might have gone in the same direction. It -hmm. just might have taken more time. And it's it's okay. So back in the day, kids, let me tell you a little story. There used to be a uh, book that you could choose your own adventure. So you would get to the bottom of the page and it would say you could turn to page 24 and take this route or you could turn to page like 79 and you could go this route. So you would turn to 24 and maybe the person is saved and you're done with the book and then you go to page 79 and then there's like this tumultuous thing that happens and now you're on a whole new adventure in the book, right? So you could have fun with choosing which way you want the book and the story to go. That's what Jeff is uh, insinuating here is that, okay, let's say... Stefan broke his ankle. The whole situation happens exactly how I just explained it to you. Let's say he didn't break his ankle, but Stefan 
uh, never takes off with the shoe and maybe Nike poaches him. And he's like, you know, N1 never became a name anywhere. So I'm just going to go with Nike because I could get paid more here. And one is still in the same situation for different reasons. It's just a matter of time. Or worse. Or worse. Because, you know, now you've paid Stefan Marbury a whole bunch of money and got nothing for it. Yep. And so, uh, and then you still have a bad sneaker mm-hmm. because nobody finds out that you break your ankle on it until they do. And now you have 10 players that broke their ankle on it and you never learn to reconstruct the shoe. Like, so there's a whole bunch of things that came out of this that was great because it brought basketball back to a forefront. They, it brought the culture back up. It gave, um, a whole bunch of great street players, uh, some money, some notoriety, like some popularity, they got to go on tour. Get one of them actually ended up going into the NBA after all of this. They got drafted. A um, couple of them had different careers, you know, outside of there. They just got lifted out of bad situations that they were in by what they shared in the documentary. And I think about even in just my non MSG life, and I don't mean MSG food wise. I mean like Madison Square Garden. Although I've been there plenty of times for great concerts. Thanks, mom and dad. Uh, and also for Knicks basketball games. <laughs> it's it's massive, but it's amazing when you're in there. But I think about, you know, just the course of my life up until now, whether it's career or whether it's life, if I chose a different adventure than what I did at this point, I think ultimately I might land still where I am. I think it might have taken me longer, though. I don't think... Um, I think everything happened the way it was supposed to. So the things that I saw at the time as a roadblock uh, that may have devastated me at that time, you know, uh, on a side note, you just share this uh, with your sister and it was something my brother said and I think this applies to adults too, right? Mm -hmm. So um, Jeff was talking to my brother and my brother said something like really wise and he was talking about his son and his son is, he has two, and uh, the oldest one is a little over three. And he was having a, um, a moment where he couldn't have something that he wanted. And my brother said or explained it in a way that just made total sense. And he said, up until this point in his life, this is the worst thing that has happened to him. So he has nothing to compare it to as far as rationalizing why he shouldn't be upset about not having that toy or not having that pop or anything like that. And I think that goes for us throughout our life. Like, yeah, we've had terrible things occur, but when it's something that we really, really want and the universe puts a roadblock in front of us and we don't get it, I think at that moment, we think we're not supposed to have it. The world is against us. Why does this always happen to me? I'm not saying everybody. Some people are very positive polys and they could get through it in a heartbeat. Um, I'd like to promote myself as a positive poly, but I have those moments where I'm just like, seriously, like this is the last thing that I need. I'm just laying in bed for the rest of the day because, you know, it's done. It's over my world. I can't pivot at this point. (laughs) Right. And I think my brother put it uh, very wisely when he said that. And I think... You know, in points in my life, like there was one point where I wanted to get out of retail very early on. Like I did not know what I did not know. And at that point, I thought, okay, I'm probably less than five years into retail and I was already ready to get out. And this was when I first started working. (laughs) And so I was working clothing in New York. And one of the women that I worked with, her husband owned um, or worked for a trucking company. And she said, they're looking to hire somebody and it would be somebody that just kind of moves the trailers from one park to another. And I'm not physically moving them. I'm just radioing to the guys what needs to move in, what needs to move out so they could transfer whatever stuff was in there. And I probably shouldn't discuss that part of it Um, (laughs) because I don't really know. However, it was great money for me at the time being under 20. And so I, I started the job, but it was okay. He. I'm just going to say what it was. I was the only female that worked there. The only female that worked there. And a lot of the truckers actually were very um, great, respectful. Uh, they saw that I could, you know, take a joke like one of the guys. Like, I, I, I don't get offended easily, you know, and whatever. And it wasn't that I was just playing a part just to be part of the crew. I just, you know, uh, whatever. It's New York. Yeah, it's New York. <laughs> um 
And however, what the job was just didn't make sense to me because I thought it could be done a whole different way in a whole better way, even though I had no experience in the trucking industry. And so then one day uh, the boss came to me and he's like, you know, I, I don't think it's working out. And I was just devastated because it was really great money. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? But I think all overall, a it wasn't it wasn't my career. I wasn't gonna sit there and just radio to a guy and tell him what trailers to move from one park to another. That just wasn't my area. Um, and I also just think that me being the only female there could lead to potential issues later. And it was more for protection than anything else. And I get that and I respect that. And I see that looking back on it now, but then for the money that I was making that I thought was like fantastic and for being able to be out of retail and now having to go back because that's the only thing I knew, I thought my life was over. <laughs> I thought that was it. I was done. What am I going to do now? I've had similar scenarios, but I really want to put it on on the listeners. Um, I'm sure everybody here has had that moment where you are working in a, in a certain spot or you are... Uh, trying to get a certain job and you don't get it or you lose your job or whatever happens Um, or it has happened right and then I want you to think of where you are right now and the things that have happened in between I'd like to think that for the most part you're where you're either where you're supposed to be or on your way to where you're supposed to be. I like that. That you or you're on your way to where you're supposed to be. So fast forward, um, I'm in that position. I know for me, <clears throat> excuse me, retail is not an option in the fact of like I just didn't want to be in the customer facing environment. And so it was my first time going to a staffing agency and I went to a staffing agency and they said we have an office admin position for you, you know, that you could try out for, I think it was like two weeks. Try for two weeks and see if it's a match. And then, you know, it's a, a possibility of a full-time role. And I had no idea what a staffing agency was or what that even meant or what it meant to be a temp or whatever. I was just like, just give me a job, like <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and um, so it turned out working in the buying office of an organization. And I did, I was contracted to be the office assistant for this huge office um, for C-level execs and everybody else for a year. I had to stay in the role for a year. That was the thing I couldn't change. I made relationships throughout the office. You know, I was, my boss was very old school, loved her, but she was very old school, very um, uh, by the book, very like, don't upset anybody. You know, like if she was going to teach a class on uh, like manners, she would be the person to do it. You know, like just place the envelope on their desk and then just walk away and then don't say anything and don't interrupt and that sort of thing. And meanwhile, I'm over here like, hey, how are you? How's it going? What's going on? What you doing today? You know, that sort of thing. What little did I know? Anyway, so they kept me on for the year. Um, and, you know, <laughs> and I made relationships and to the point of where now I was getting offered positions when my year was coming up. And I chose a department that like I just blended in with and they blended in with me and we all worked together, learned so much, grew so much, got extended so much, transferred with that company when I moved down to Florida. Like everything just started happening. I still have some of those friendships today. Um, and this is going over 20 years ago. Um, and it, things just evolved from there. You know, it's, there were people I was supposed to meet along the way. There was interactions I was supposed to have so that later on when I changed careers, I had the experience to back me up for my next career. Like everything is preparing you for what what's next. And, you know, speaking of that, it, there is always something next. Like I think I, I, I may have mentioned this before and we've probably said it a few times on this show. It's very rare to see people work for the same organization for 30, 40 years anymore. I don't think he should. But No, and, and you're absolutely right. Um, but even if you wanted to, it's very difficult to do, right? Um, so the career you're in right now, statistically, 
you're probably going to have another a different one in in a decade right and i don't mean like a different one a different industry but you might be working for a different organization you you may just switch completely it's not unheard of so just think about that that the stuff that you're doing right now even if it goes away it's prepping you it's prepping you for the next uh the next adventure um so there some food for thought I think what stops people from allowing themselves to take the roadblock and make it a trampoline and just look at it as a roadblock is the fear of change. And think about that fear of change as a fork in the road, right? So there's a fear of change of, okay, things didn't work out the way that I planned. Haha, because mm-hmm. most things never do. So now I have to change course. Or things didn't work out the way that I planned. And so I had planned on doing this, but now I have to change my thought process and go back into the mindset that I was in and continue doing what I was doing because what I wanted to do didn't work. So going back to what I was doing when I thought like, you know, uh, when they say something's a pipe dream, like, you know, I'm going to be American Idol and that doesn't work out. And you're like, oh, man, I put all my eggs in that basket and really thought that I was going to be American Idol. Um, and now I have to go back to whatever job that I had that I was looking forward to singing, you know, I quit (laughs) to the boss or whatever. Mm -hmm. So if you narrow down the root cause as to what people, what stops somebody from taking that roadblock and making it a trampoline, um, and, and just leaving it as a a block in the road, I think about people in the gym and this is a weird segue, but then I'll take it to another company, but You know, like how uh, during the workouts, like even during CrossFit, where they have those big uh, boxes and they're different levels, right? So one might be like six inches off the ground, then a foot off the ground, and then two feet, and then three feet, four feet. And you're supposed to jump from ground level to the top of this box. And it's intimidating because the box is high, but ultimately you work yourself to that level where you can jump on top of the box from the ground and just bring yourself up. And I think about that as the kind of that um, mental visual you have to have when you come across something that happens in your life. Like, okay, let me take this step by step. Let's start with a small box. Let, Let me chip away at this. And if you're not working to chip away at it, or if you lose momentum in chipping away at it, then maybe the passion wasn't the sneaker, maybe the passion was basketball. So maybe you have to sit back and reevaluate what is stopping me from really having the momentum at being able to do this. Now, it's a little different if like, you know, you just can't jump for like physical reasons or whatever else, you know, like if something's stopping you that way. But when you're thinking about um, what you're working towards and something that got in your way, are you really going for what you want or are you going for what you think you want and you haven't really narrowed down what you want? And so, and then you have to think about, okay, do I need to evolve? Do I need to be the trendsetter or do I need to just change with the times? And I think changing and evolving are different, right? So yeah. evolving is uh, really growing and moving and a combination of changing and trending ahead of the times or with the times, um, it's a whole transformation. Changing is keeping who you are and just saying, okay, now we're going to go right or now we're going to go left and and moving with that flow. And then being ahead of the curve is, you know, uh, being the front runner and saying, we're going to do this, even though there's nobody that has led the way in this particular scenario. Um, and we're going to see what happens and fight through our own roadblocks and jump off our own trampolines. And so with that, a company that comes to mind goes to Netflix. They did it. You know, um, Blockbuster had the opportunity to join Netflix. They they chose not to. Blockbuster, you know, was doing great at its time. It changed. It had the VHS that you could go and rent. It had all the top movies. It was just cool to go to Blockbuster and hang out, actually, at the store. You know, I remember yeah. after high school or, like, you know, Thursday, Friday nights, that was a place to be, right, um, in some cases. And then what happened was is that Netflix was delivering DVDs to your house. So you had the convenience of being able to order 
whatever movie you want to see. It would get mailed to you like usually the next day, if not the day after, depending on how popular the movie was. You watch it, you throw it in the mailbox, and then you get the next one. It was like, uh, I think you could sign up monthly, wasn't it? Wasn't it like you could get three D three DVDs a month as long as you I think it was something, or something like, like that, that. Yeah. or you could do one at a time or whatever the case may be. And so then Blockbuster had the DVDs too, so they were neck and neck, and then Netflix had to be the trendsetter and go into a streaming service because now people wanted things instantly, like the instant gratification. And not everybody had internet, so this was a gamble of, okay, all our DVD customers, how do we transfer them to become, or transition them to become streaming customers if all of them don't have internet service? And the thought process behind there is you could sit there and let that be a roadblock, right? You could say, okay, not everybody has internet, so we're going to lose customers. Or you can go back to the thought of, well, when we transitioned from VHS to DVDs, not everybody had a DVD player and we still made it happen. Mm -hmm. So which mindset do you want to have? The roadblock of, oh, not everybody has internet or the trampoline of, yeah, but we still made it happen and we could do it again. And this is how we're going to do it. And this is how we're going to encourage. And this is who we're going to partner with. And, you know, partnering with internet services to offer free internet so people can go ahead and watch these movies or have access to them. And look at where the streaming platforms are now. Like, you know, TV is the thing that, not the actual physical TV, but, you know, cable and things like that are becoming um, a little more obsolete because really people are just looking for news and weather and sports. Um, but the majority of that could be found online. Um, I think something that you said that jumped out. It should be everything I said. No, is, just, <laughs> has, I'm not kidding. It has to do with, <laughs> um, so Blockbuster. If Netflix does their thing and they start sending out DVDs and they they lean on streaming and Block, like they're, you, you, if you look this up, like Blockbuster was like, that's never going to take off. And we have so many stories of the big guy on the block, the big business on the block, the, the person who's like, this is how we do things, looking at an idea that's really good and saying that's nobody's going to want to do that. Right. And and you need those people. Let me just throw that out there. You need the people. You know, I joke around with you and with uh, a friend of ours all the time um, about Ted Lasso, where they talk about don't bring an umbrella to a brainstorm. Right. But sometimes you need that person to think of, but what about plan C, D, E, F and G? Right. Mm -hmm. And what about this? So I think um, sometimes those people are good in the right setting, you know, and not completely the naysayer, but the person that thinks of, all right, let me be the devil's advocate here so that we can plan for it. Yeah. Happen. Sorry. And, and I mean, it, it boils down to the intent. Right. But like the important thing to know is that there are countless examples of people who have had really good ideas and have been told that's never going to work. Hmm. And that's your roadblock. Who tells them that, though? Is it is it the boss that tells them that because they're threatened by the idea or is it their own voice in their head that knocks them down because they lack uh, confidence in it? Or is it uh, the customer that's saying that's never going to work, you know, that you have the focus group on? Or is it all of the above? It could be a combination of things. It could I be think, a combination of things. Yeah, and I think we've all been told no. And we've all been told no by somebody who we really put value in their opinion and their uh, their ability to predict the future <laughs> on what's going to work or what's not going to work for whatever your vision is. And I just don't think that um, you have to pick those sunglasses all the time to wear for your vision. Um, you don't always have to pick the darkest shade to wear that blocks your vision. Yeah, and you also have to have belief in yourself. Um, I I tend to think that no matter what happens, I'd rather have me in my corner than someone else in my corner, right? Um, I'm always gonna I'm always gonna bet on myself. So I think everybody should think that way. Everybody should have enough confidence that, like, you're here. You're you. You've gotten to where you are. Now to get to the next level, it's just another step to to um, go back to the whole CrossFit thing. Like, if you could jump up two feet, you didn't think you could do that much. Mm -hmm. 
three feet is just another foot, right? Mm-hmm. So it's it's not it's the increment is different. And it's the same thing with with anything else. You know, when um, I think about what we've been talking about, a lot of it has been talking about businesses and um, how they've handled change and how they've handled their uh, roadblocks versus trampolines, right? I think another thing is how do customers or clients or, you know, whatever you call your, your patrons, how do you respond to their response to change. And so a good example would be uh, Pepsi when they made clear Pepsi. And it was the same thing as uh, Pepsi Cola. It was just, it just didn't have the brown color to it. And people looked at it like, what? Like, are you selling a seltzer water? And it's a, you know, mistake. It doesn't look like cola. It's not brown. It's not the traditional color. Like, why would we buy this? Let's buy it and taste it. No, it doesn't taste like Pepsi, you know. And it was all in their mindset. But uh, Pepsi reacted very quickly. And it didn't last very long. They were like, okay, we get it. Nobody likes crystal clear Pepsi. We'll take it off the shelves. But what's funny is, is that now people are looking for that. Like, there's a... um, a person on TikTok who sells retro candies or retro drinks and things like that, uh, because mostly they're still carried in other parts of the world. And he, this person has a storage area, I mean, like a massive warehouse. And so people just pick online what they want. And this person goes and shops for them and then ships it off to them. And he they have the the clear Pepsi there. And I'm just like, gosh, like, where would you still get that where it's still made or like, who's still in demand of that in other parts of the world? And why didn't it take off here? And do you always have to cater to what the client wants? Or do you set that trend? And before you answer that, this, uh, that's the same thing with Drake, Drake put out his album, and a lot of it was mostly like um, dance music. And people hated on Beyonce too. Beyonce too, but she didn't get the hate. She went to number one. Mm-hmm. Drake got a lot of um, hate on social media because it wasn't traditionally what the type of music that uh, people were used to listening to. Hey, you're going to hear some music in the background. It's Daisy playing with her bunny. Daisy is our standard poodle who's four years old. We absolutely love her. She knows I'm talking about her because she stopped uh, squeezing her toy. But if you hear some odd noises in the background, Daisy, Daisy has joined the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um so Drake, uh, like I said, he he normally puts out like a, a more hip hop R and B sound, and he put out uh, like dance music for his new album. And in an interview, he was asked, you know, after it was when he was going on like the press tour, you know, for the album, uh, he was asked by the interviewer, "How do you feel about all this heat that you're getting for the music that you put out, and you know, for your new style and everything else? Like, what do you have to say to your fans who were expecting?" you know, Drake and, and all all the Drake stuff that comes with it. And he paused and he thought about it and he said, they'll just have to catch up. I'll just wait for them to catch up. And I thought that was such a brilliant answer because he didn't um, mock their taste. He didn't, you know, uh, you know, say anything about what their opinion was. He just said that we'll wait for them to catch up. And that's what's happened in the past. This was just such a drastic change from what people were used to hearing from him to what they heard now. And then it started to catch on. But like when you think about the other songs that he had and when it first came out, people would laugh, but then it became catchy, like Hotline Bling, you know, and like the dance video for it and everything. And, you know, it it was a joke like for the first five seconds. And then everybody's like, oh, yeah, this is this is it. This is what it is. Now, Beyonce did it. She did it with no, um, like, really, she builds up the hype to it, right? And so, like, she'll drop little hints, like, she'll all of a sudden delete her social media, and then she'll change her profile picture, and everybody knows, oh, this is it. This is the, you know, they've just learned that this is her behavior and how she drops an album by surprise. Um, And she doesn't say anything about it. And then she says afterwards when she hears the feedback from her fans. So she builds up the anticipation, but... Uh, people loved it right away. And then, you know, she got some uh, flack because people said that it sounded similar to songs from the 90s, dance music then. But she dropped dance music. Not a problem. 
Drake drop, dropped, say that a couple times, Drake dropped dance music <laughs> <laughs> and everybody, you know, uh, lost their mind on social media, you know, so I think it depends on your branding and what you've had up until that time. Beyonce has had, a, has had dance music before, you know, in different styles, whereas Drake has kind of stuck to a style. So, you know, what would you say about preparing fans, clients, patrons, customers, about change do you just drop a product and you know let the hype build it up like the furby craze you know back in the day or do you give like a slow introduction and let it sink in before you all of a sudden hit them with the the change i don't think i mean either of those is fine i think the important thing and the thing that separates um like what happened to drake is the commitment to it like if you decide to go in a direction for artists it it's different because you have to feel it and whatever you feel that's where you're going but for a business if you have sat down and you are trusting in your planning and you're trusting in all your people's ability to um, execute right when the the whole hey we're gonna let them catch up comes by saying i've i've committed to this direction I'm going to lose some people. That's okay. But I feel that I know what's right for my business. I feel I know what the right direction is. I'm not doing anything harmful to people. You do want to take feedback into account um, to some extent. But you, I say the commitment is the difference. Where you're trusting in yourself and you're trusting in your business and you're trusting in the planning and make it, and hoping that everything comes together. Okay, so if commitment is the piece that you're saying is what you have to trust in, right? Then I think what I would say to that is that consistency is what halts evolution because what people do is they worry about being consistent with their products, with their message, with their brand. And with that, they stay stuck in what worked back in the day, but they don't realize that it doesn't work anymore. Just like I think about jokes. Jokes don't evolve the same way that they used to. You can't say a lot of things that Richard Pryor or George Carlin said back in the day today because it's a different crowd and Mm -hmm. there's... um, different things that have evolved from the language that was used back then. Um, Some of it is still relevant today and apparent today um, and hasn't changed, but the jokes don't come across the same way. They just don't fly the same way. And so when somebody is faced with, okay, my business, like let's say Blockbuster, right? We have to be consistent for our customer. We have locations everywhere so they could just return their movies everywhere. And we consistently have the new releases on these days and everything's rewound and they know that they're going to get what they came in for. And, um, you know, these are our prices, blah, 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 blah. And then um, they decide we can't evolve into streaming because, like you said, we're going to lose customers and we want to stay consistent and always be uh, like a storefront for our customers to be able to come in and, and step away from home and pick up dinner and pick up the movie and then take it home or whatever the case may be. If we do streaming, we take away from that experience. Then what happens is, is that the world evolves without them and it consistently evolves without them. I recently saw, and I don't know if it's an old, it probably is. Uh, a little older, um, Matt Damon was having a conversation where he was talking about why movies are being made the way they are now and why certain movies don't make the cut. And he gave a very interesting answer that should be obvious, right? Um, He said that in the past, when you had a theater release and a DVD release, it was almost like having two launches of the movie. So you had two opportunities to make revenue. Hmm. And now you have your theater release and that's it. It goes to it doesn't go to DVD, it goes to streaming. So you're not really selling Blu-ray discs. You're going to a to a streaming service and you're not going to make the same amount of money 
as you did, right? So when you're considering the budget for your movie, if it's a passion project and somebody says, well, you need $50 million to make the movie and $50 million to market it, and you are saying, hey, well, now I need to make $100 million just to break even, right? And you factor in the amount that you're sharing with people who are distributing the film, et cetera, et cetera. It's a whole different conversation because you don't have the same revenue stream coming in. And so the conversations around what movies get greenlit and which movies do not, it changes the whole landscape of the industry. But it also, I look at it as it's also an opportunity for people who have like movies that you wouldn't expect to be blockbusters and to like completely shatter sales records to just step in and say hey i'm making this i'm taking a risk on this one oh matt damon let me call the wambulance <laughs> like <laughs> oh if we only had 50 million dollars over here and 50 million dollars over there and our star cost 20 million dollars <laughs> um you know i i'm a big fan of matt damon and i think i i saw the same video as you did and i think he did a great job of breaking it down from behind the scenes but then when you have a situation like Batgirl, which gets written off because it could be like a tax write-off for not being released and they spent millions of dollars on it, I have to kind of call BS on that because you can't do that in everyday jobs. You know, like you can't just go ahead and say, okay, I'm going to invest in this and, you know, take all this training and then I'll get the job that I want. But, you know, uh, I could just write it off if I don't like this job or, you know, I could still get paid from the IRS if I don't like it. Like it, it just doesn't work in reverse for uh, people that are not in that position to be able to do that. I think the company can take the hit if the mo- if the movie doesn't make as much money and if the actors aren't making as much money, then maybe we need to like go back a little bit and rethink how we're doing movies like cuz a lot of people are yearning for the romantic comedy movies that we used to have like the feel good movies instead of like all these like everyday hard-hitting action or uh traumatic or intense movies like can't we just have like a good old family movie where everything is all lovey-dovey at the end and just pretend for a minute (laughs) you know like we used to do with the movies so yeah i think oh pacino you feel a certain type of way about that sorry pacino's kind of groaning about that um i don't know i when it comes to playing with that many zeros i have a little less of uh, uh, patience than i would for the employees and leaders that are trying to either lead organizational change or lead a change with a product that they're introducing for the need of their customers. Well, eventually somebody will take that risk and then everybody will be surprised that the movie that they thought was going to flop actually broke, you know, sales records everywhere and made somebody a lot of money and all of a sudden somebody will be a breakout star and who could have seen that coming? Right. Right, right, right. And I hope that happens. I really hope that happens for the cast because I know that they were devastated. And like the people that were the cast of uh, Batgirl, they lost out. You know, the people that worked on the film. I I totally get that. I just think from his perspective and how he's explaining the troubles of how do you budget for, you know, this many zeros and this many zeros. I don't know, dude. Some people are trying to budget for two zeros. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, when we get up there, we'll we'll let you know how to figure it out because we figured it out, <laughs> you know, on the 10 cents. So, basically, to, to land this jet plane that we have going on, I think that as an individual, when you come across your roadblock, whatever that may be, whether it's personal, whether it's uh, business-wise, whether it's financial, think of it as what am I taking away from this so that this particular roadblock does not happen again. And if you continue getting roadblocks, don't take that to mean that it's not meant to happen. Think of it to mean as sometimes, how bad do you want it, right? And this is really just for more of a career focus, Um, don't think of it as, you know, asking somebody out on a date. Don't think of it as, you know, like, uh, spending money that you don't have that sort of thing. I'm talking about, you know, going after, uh, something that you want to do for the rest of your life, 
or at least for the next decade, or maybe even the next five years, five months, you want to attempt your passion project. You want to go ahead and see what you're capable of. You want to go ahead and take a hiatus, or you want to try that new job with your friends that just opened a business, something along those lines. Don't let the roadblocks get in your way. Use them as trampolines. Use them as something to start as a foundation to jump from so that you could only elevate yourself and go from great to greater. And I think as a corporation, if you're worried about consistency and you're worried about the communication with your uh, clients or your customers or your patrons or, you know, whatever you decide to call them. I think the biggest thing there is to introduce it slowly. However, if you are a company that likes to be cutting edge and you'd like to be on the forefront, you like to be the one that creates that trend, then go ahead and build the hype behind it and then drop it like a bomb and just, you know, surprise everybody with this great thing that you have. But if there is nothing that is different or revolutionary about your product, then you could go ahead and mix it into the folds with your other products. But I think if it's something that is completely different and exciting, you know, think like, um, uh, what am, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Think of like electronics, think of your cell phones and think of um, the way that things are released through commercials and how dynamic the commercials look visually. And they don't start that until, um, you know, maybe the product is released and then all of a sudden there's like this hype behind it because you know at this time of year that this company is going to launch XYZ, you know, there's usually something that's going to drop and you can build the hype to it that way. So as a company, I wouldn't necessarily worry so much about losing your customers. I would think about is this product something my customers are going to want, need and desire? Um, and is it something that can maybe possibly in the future create nostalgia for them? Um, because usually that can circle back around after it hits its peak and, and you can bring it back in and revolutionize it. Um, you could always take things from great to greater, even if they've been launched or even if they didn't work out the first time like End One did in their documentary. I, I definitely recommend that you watch it. There's nothing that's like really controversial about what happens in there, but it's just interesting the mindset that the business owners had at the time in how, yeah, they felt defeated, but they were like, you know what? Let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the drawing board and let's work quickly on it because we still have this passion for it and we're not willing to let it go. And, um, you know, this is us rooting for you and telling you, don't let it go. You got this. Jump off that trampoline and um, just take yourself from great to greater. And we want trampoline stories. So if you head on over to TikTok and go to the underscore IO underscore shrink, Give us your stories. Let us know of the uh, adventures where you've taken the leap off the trampoline or taken what can be perceived as a roadblock and turned it into a trampoline jump to the next level. Um, you can also follow Tiffany at Tiff Rufino on Instagram. And we look forward to hearing from you. So until next time, this has been From Great to Greater with Tiffany Rufino. Tiffany Rufino.